we begin today with health and introduce our political panel in studio this week. They're Mary Butler, Minister of State for Mental Health and Older People and Fianna Fáil TD for Waterford. Aon O'Reardhine, Labour TD for Dublin Bay North and Party Spokesperson on Justice and Education. Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin TD for Dublin Fingal and Party Spokesperson on Workers' Rights and Employment. Good afternoon to you all. Thank you for coming in. Uh, Minister Mary Butler, I want to turn to you first on the announcement made by the HSE about this time yesterday. They've put a freeze on the recruitment in doctors, amongst others, across the country's hospitals and other uh, categories, including agency staff. Can you, can you explain why, why, after as hospitals head into their worst months of the year with pressure on beds and keeping beds open, why this decision has been made now? I suppose people would find it hard to believe that after receiving two billion extra um, funding for 2024 budget in health, that that announcement was made yesterday. But I suppose there's a couple of things we have to look at um, in relation to the budget. So the money secured, and which were I was at, I was at the table for all the, the meetings and the discussions. The money secured will probably only help us deliver existing level of service uh, next year. Uh, We have an ageing population, which is very, very welcome. We have the highest life expectancy in Europe. We have 5.2 million people living in the country now. We have pent up demand from COVID. So the, the demands on our services, especially the acute services, have never been higher. In order for us to, to um, you know, deliver services next year, we went to the table looking for a certain amount of money. And what was that amount? 1.2 billion for existing level of service and we received 708 million. So we will have to um, cut, uh, I suppose. We will have to be conscious of that in order to deliver services, that there has to be some very, very tough measures taken now. Now, the reason why these measures are being taken, I'm going to give an example. So budget for 2023, there was funding for 500 doctors. And already by the end of September, we recruited 660. Uh, Budget for 2023, we allocated 100 um, posts for general support. So that would be porters and, you know, admin, different things like that. And we have already recruited 213. So I suppose the problem was that we weren't adhering to the 2023 budget, which was putting us under pressure. We're going to have a significant overrun in 2023. Can I just look at the logic of that? As you say, you went in, you asked for a certain figure to provide services. But we've heard about a recruitment and a retention crisis in the HSE. Now, you know, if it seems the logic of, of, of recruitment seems to be get them in and retain them. And if the budget has to be adjusted in future years, once you've got the, the hospitals to their capacity with doctors, then maybe that's the time to start cutting back on recruitment. So we've recruited 23,000 people since this government came in in 2020. We do talk about recruitment and retention, but the areas that are not included um, in, in, in the recruitment pause are the areas where we're challenged for recruitment. So that's in relation to health and social care professionals, therapists for disability services, the National Ambulance Service, uh, approved a, a consultant post, nursing and midwifery, dentists and orthodontics for public service schools and public service emergency. So those areas are not going to be paused because we haven't come anywhere near where we want to. But, right, in relation but, but there are to other issues like, say, if not doctors, then even the home help staff, so people can be stepped down from hospitals to relieve 
the pressure on those hospitals? I mean, particularly in your brief, for older people, would you not be concerned about older people staying in hospitals where the risk of infection is higher? Yeah, so that's an area I am concerned about because we budgeted for this year for a thousand um, healthcare workers um, across the HSE to provide um, vital um, home care services, about 54,000 people a day. As of the end of September, we have 745 recruited, which I was delighted to hear. But there's still um, availability there for another 255 posts. I only got this information yesterday evening late. um, So I will be having future discussions in relation to that. Okay, but as you say, there is unprecedented demand because of demographics and population on the health service. Rachel McNamara, the chair of the Irish Medical Organisation's non-consultant hospital doctors committee, that's the committee of the... uh, Medics represent doctors representatives group that represents junior doctors saying this recruitment freeze flies in the face of safe staffing levels given the pressures that are on the health service. How do you respond so to the that? So sta- the safe staffing, any, any area where safe staffing levels haven't been um, reached, um, there won't be a recruitment pause there. But I do think it's very important to point out because just, there just, is just, this... Could you just clarify that, that specific so, point you're making? So, so any areas where safe staffing has not been reached, there won't be. Um, the, the, safe, the safe staffing protocols have not been reached. My understanding as of the information I got yesterday that there won't be recruitment pause is there. That's specifically in relation so to nursing. So they won't be filled by, oh, that, that, but that's in nursing. They but won't it, be paused. But in terms of non-consultant hospital doctors. In relation to non-consultant hospital doctors, they do come under, we have recruited between non-consultant hospital doctors, dentists and consultants this year, we have recruited 660 up to the end of September. We were funded for 500. And can you say and with the, absolute confidence that all non-consultant hospital doctor roles are filled to the point of safe staffing levels. I don't have that information today. I can't, I can't answer that. You must understand that this information came late to me yesterday evening and we're trying to work with it. But can I just say one point? There Very is a briefly, perception yeah. there is a perception out there that the health service in Ireland is one of the highest um, funded health services in the whole world. It absolutely is not. Of the EU 27, we come in number 11. We have a very, very good uh, funding model of 22.5 million. It, uh, it was higher before Minister Anne Rabbit left with disability. disability. So about 2.5 billion left with herself. But the point I'm making is that there are areas in the health service where we feel um, that we can um, make some savings. Um, the only, it's, it's only the acute areas that are really overrun. Okay. So if you take right. mental health in older people, we, we, my we, budget was not going to overrun this year. OK, well, we, 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 we'll we come to some of those. Uh, Louise O'Reilly, Sinn Féin agrees there are savings that can be made in the health service. Where would you be making those savings in order to avoid a recruitment freeze like this? Well, <clears throat> we need to look at uh, the impact of the last recruitment moratorium. Let's not forget the last time Fianna Fáil were in government, they imposed a recruitment moratorium on the health service, the impact of which is still uh, being felt. That was in 2007. It was two years ahead of the moratorium that was introduced for every other department and it absolutely crucified uh, the the, uh, the people who were working in the health service where we know over time is absolutely maxed out, where we know that uh, that people are, al- are already under pressure, where we know that new graduates uh, do not find it an attractive place to work and in fact they head for the hills at the earliest 
opportunity. So we know that a blunt instrument like a recruitment moratorium doesn't work. But when we look at where we can make savings, we need to look at the cost of outsourcing because that's what happens all of the time. Um, you know, it's it's straight out of the Fianna Fáil playbook, impose a recruitment moratorium and then start funneling money into the private sector you, in the you hopes said that to, they will I deliver. I think just in your own words, you've said, or in your party's words, you would say you'd make savings through targeted reductions to agency spending. Now, is that including nurses? Well, you see, if you convert agency staff, which is a very expensive way to purchase staff into directly employed staff, there are savings to be made there. This is something that not just uh, not just Sinn Féin, but also the ICTU, the INMO and other organisations have been saying for a very, very long time. The private sector is very inefficient and expensive at delivering uh, public health care. I mean, people want to have private health insurance, best to look to them, they want to do that, that's fine. But for the vast majority of people who need public health care services. The private sector is not the best way to deliver that. It is the most expensive way. But what I but would like to even when it hear, comes to clearing waiting lists and providing nurses where they're needed to fill short-term gaps, I mean, can you really make savings? The, because of the lack of capacity within our health service, which is only going to get worse because of this recruitment moratorium, there is a necessity to use the private sector. But what they don't do in this government and previous governments is utilise that breathing space to build up capacity in the public service. So we return again and again to the expensive private sector. So let's just look at the figures that are in the budget. So Mary says that, uh, you know, that they didn't get money for additional services, that what they got essentially was existing levels of service. So existing levels of service mean 700,000 people waiting for a hospital appointment. So effectively what the government are saying with their budget is we are fine with that. NCHDs already work uh, a phenomenal okay, amount of right. overtime. I, they breach the just, European Working Time I, Directive. I'll come to Aon I mean, around the, the moment. I just effectively go, I just, what the government are saying is they want, right, they want okay, them to the, work more overtime. I just want to get the Minister's no response on that. That figure of waiting lists and people waiting on, on, on surgery and other treatments and indeed in some cases assessments. Louise O'Reilly's assertion is that the government is fine with that by maintaining current funding levels. No, the government is not absolutely fine. And if I could just tease out the point a little bit, I'm not going to make political points like um, Louise made already. These are people's lives. This is access to healthcare. The patient has to come first. The first point is, the, f- the, fir- the first point is we received 708 uh, million for existing level of service we also received 100 million um, for new developments, new devs they're called. There will be 162 new hospital beds, including 22 critical care, six surgical hubs C- and community beds. No, but just let me tease out the, the point. How will you open those hospital beds without the staffing? Because levels? we have 960 whole time equivalents are funded. I was at the table, I was at all the meetings. Uh, the vote 38 will come before um, the Oireachtas Committee on Health and it, it, all of this is set out in it and will be set out in the HSE service plan. But the point I want to make as well, we also received a billion in funding for non-core. Um, for, for, for non-core. So one of the main issues we have at the moment is medical inflation, which is running at 16%, much higher than inflation anywhere else. Um, I just want to touch on agency staff. The budget this year for agency staff was 300 million. We have exceeded 900 million to date. It'll probably end up at a billion. There could be savings made there. There are areas where looking at in relation to procurement and in relation to agency staffing okay. to see can we make some savings pull it back a little bit. Alright, well the food inflation, energy costs are still high and all of those things are, are costs hospitals have to do. But we will do everything we can right. to minimise the impact on okay. patient care. Aon O'Reardon, for this, this freeze on recruitment uh, into the health service 
first of all, do you, you do you disagree with it, first of all? And secondly, where would you find the funding to prevent it if you do disagree with it? I, I think this is absolutely outrageous. I think we had a budget presentation on Tuesday which is bordering on fraudulent. I'm beginning to wonder... Um, if we are in the, in, the, in the area of emotional confidence in the senior minister here. I mean, how can you have a budget presentation on Tuesday saying everything is fine here, lads, and on Friday you have a recruitment freeze in the HSE? I mean, that's absolutely outrageous. There is nobody anywhere within the medical sphere of representative organisations who had anything good to say about the budget last Tuesday. We clearly have a minister who's lost control of his department. We clearly have a minister that the government has no uh, confidence in. We were talking about overruns in the Department of Health for the last number of months. Meanwhile, we had a squabbling match between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael over tax cuts. And let's just say what the Irish Medical Organisation have said. There'll be little or no improvement in capacity, services or waiting lists in 2024 as a result of the budget. INMO, disappointed that specific figures had not been provided detailing exactly how the safe staffing framework will be implemented into 2024. The minister must have known all on right. Tuesday, that right. the effect well, no, of this we, budget we, the was going to be here, and we don't. I know, well, hold okay. on. I know, no, I'm going to say just, 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 these, no, just, these just points have to be no, made. No, just, no, no. The, the points have to be made, but in the absence of the full knowledge, and the minister is not here to clarify what he knew or didn't know when he made the announcements he made. Minister Anne Robert well, has said, just just a moment. Minister Anne Robert has said here that she only found out yesterday. So, so we're not. Our Minister Mary Butler is. Go, we're not going to speculate on what the minister but knew. How, sorry, okay, Colin. So in all fairness, how is that I can put clarity on that because Minister Donnelly did not speak on Tuesday. On Wednesday at two o'clock, um, in the in the press centre in government buildings Minister Donnelly we had our press conference that happens for every department myself Minister Donnelly and Minister Hildegard Nocton were present you, you, you obviously weren't and I don't expect people to be there that's, that's, not, that's not a code what I'm saying is Minister Donnelly um, raised issues um, I have his speech here he raised issues at that conference he also flagged the fact that there would be more um, a pause in relation to recruitment coming and he did say he said that on Wednesday. He said right. that so on Wednesday. To, do, do you want to withdraw he, he, he that? He said then? that on Wednesday. Um, there was a huge amount of media present, and it was reported right. on. No, I know, I know, he I didn't. I, he didn't flag it was coming as quickly as it came. I was surprised <sighs> at the okay. amount when it came. Okay. So, so, right. so we're saying. No, but you, you're to be fair. You made a comment there about the minister who did not speak on Tuesday um, oh, during well, the budget. So and then no, 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 no. Let's just no, no, no. Hang on a second. To the patients are going to be affected by this measure. No, just on the substantive issue of a make, mentioning nothing about recruitment being effective. Do, do you want to just step back from that? Well, hold on, that, that hold on a second. He, mu- he must have been in, a, he must have been in, in, in the sphere sure. of knowledge on Wednesday or Thursday. So Minister Donnelly spoke on, in the door on, on Thursday at 5 on. to 5. I spoke also. I know, so I was did there Minister well. Hildegard Nocton. And did he make any and mention of a recruitment freeze? Yes, he did. Uh, coming on Friday? No, not coming on Friday. Oh, for God's sake. Not coming on I Friday. But he did. But look, let's be very, very clear here because you're splitting hairs. I'm not and you've, hairs. And, 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 and you've, spoke, not you've spoken about the minister and I want to be very, very clear here. I was in the room with the minister for every single government meeting. There was over 17 meetings between officials and what I want to say is we fought so hard for funding for the health service. And you lost. No, we gained two billion. If, if, it, lost, if it lost to labour, it's so two billion. So why, why do we have a recruitment freeze? Okay, just, just, just to be clear, just to be clear, just to be clear, just to be clear about what he said, just to be clear about what he said, he said 
there were further recruitment freezes coming, but he'd leave it to the HSE to announce them. Right. So that yeah, and he did and they see announced it. Them, and he they announced see it. them on Friday. So, you know, we, we complete, we see there that the minister must have known. And if he didn't, um, well, then I suppose that speaks to a level no, he of... he did flag uh, it. That's um, be, he didn't it, know it was that it was coming on there. Friday, Mary. OK, okay so he spoke right. on Thursday. We, we, the we, recruitment freeze okay. was brought in on Friday. We need to, there we, is we nobody, need, can I just say this? There is nobody in our health service who doesn't understand the impact of a recruitment freeze, the long range impact of it and the absolutely catastrophic impact it is going right. to have okay. on we, patients we need, and service need, delivery. We, we need the minister should know this as well and if he doesn't, I, this is very, We need very to move worrying. on to an issue about a cohort of patients who uh, badly need service delivery as well and um, it's the issue of child and adolescent mental health services and it's been an area that has been repeatedly <clears> highlighted as having severe challenges and there's nothing new in, in particular in that but earlier I spoke to Fiona Toomey who lost her daughter Millie to suicide in 2016 at just 11 years of age and I began by asking her to bring us back to what was happening in their family at this time eight years ago. Yes, of course. Um, at exactly this time of year um, my daughter Millie who is 11 years of age um, started showing signs that she was not well um, that something was going on with her mental health Um it had shown in just a few behavioural changes. It came to a head when the school alerted us to um, a message she had posted um, on social media where she um, expressed a desire to die and had chosen a day, uh, which was thoroughly shocking. And that catapulted us as an entire family into the whole area of mental health and trying to get help for Millie. When the school alerted you, did, did you know where to turn and where did you turn? Well, we took the path that is still the path today. We were told to go to our GP, which we did. And she very clearly told the GP how she was feeling, uh, how she sometimes wished she was dead. Um, we were told that the next step would be to get a referral into primary care uh, psychology services. But we were advised that there was uh, a long waiting list so that really the best route will be to go to, down the private route to try and see a psychologist, which is what we did. We then uh, sought a psychologist, uh, couldn't find one, um, got the help of a, uh, another professional. Um, and uh, we saw very quickly that things were not improving. They were deteriorating. Um, Millie had had a suicide attempt. Um, and we had found that she had written about her thoughts around dying by suicide. So we were advised to get a referral into CAMS, which we did immediately uh, applied. Um, and from that time on, we were waiting for Millie to be seen as an urgent case. And how long were you waiting? Uh, we were given an appointment in December. We were given an appointment for the 4th of January uh, in uh, and so it was a couple of weeks we were told to wait, even though Millie was an urgent case. Um, and Millie uh, died by suicide on New Year's Day. Um, and her life support machine was switched off the day before her first appointment would have been. And even though she had talked about dying by suicide, even though there was a critical danger to her life, there was no immediate acute care facility to bring her to, was there? No, there was none. We were informed that if we were concerned, we should go to A&E. Um, but obviously we were concerned, which was why we were on this path. 
So how helpful that is to any parent uh, still absolutely just blows my mind. You know, there's there is no other path. Uh, the path now is exactly the same as the path was then in 2015. The services are still the same. There's still no care outside of 5 p.m. There's still no care outside of Monday to Friday. And there's still no number for any parent to call if they have a child waiting for the CAM service outside of the nine to five, which the coroner had recommended after Millie had died. And you mentioned the coroner's recommendation there. That recommendation was made almost two years after Millie died in November 2017. So six years on, can you just tell us, first of all, what the specific recommendation was and whether anything has been done on foot of that? The specific recommendation was that parents should have access to a telephone number for CAMS outside of normal working hours. Uh, what people may not realise is, is the coroner has no powers to implement any recommendations he or she may make. So obviously in this case, that was not implemented. Now, Millie, she was just 11 years of age. Parents listening to this would be alarmed that somebody so young thought about ending their own life. And at the same time, she did have hopes for the future. How was intervention not possible to help her with the intrusive thoughts she was having about ending her own life? Well, that's a question that, you know, would still keep me awake at night. You know, you are literally failing a child. And I don't wish to alarm parents because, you know, there are always people seeking to make change. But sadly, in this day and age, that change has not come about in real terms. And I think that um, it is only when you are faced with an emergency situation that you realize there are no real alternatives available to you. So, you know, for Millie, you know, I always say nobody knows if Millie would have come through her mental health crisis. Of course, I I would have hoped that she would have done. It was so sudden. But I suppose the more important point is she never got to the starting line. In light of everything you've told us and the deficiencies you see in the system, what was your analysis of Budget 2024 in coming to grips with what you've highlighted? Well, I think it's been exceptionally disappointing considering the amount of money that was available to the government. If we're talking about huge surpluses, and the government themselves saying that they were dedicated to addressing the needs of children in particular and young adults in this budget. In real terms, very little was given. I mean, 1.3 billion was given to mental health, which of course is a huge sum of money. But when you put it down in real terms, that only equates to about 5.8% of the overall spend. It needs to be at 10% to really keep pace with any of any of our partners across Europe. It's 10% in the UK, it's 15% in France. So we're looking at 5.8%. So it's a tiny amount. I mean, yes, there was money given towards employing more professionals in CAMS, which is very welcome. But as we know, the difficulty is finding those people to train them and the lack of training right across uh, the services. And in particular, I suppose, you know, for me, Um, And on a personal level, I look at what is happening with CAMS and what's happening with the service. There's no national director for mental health, you know, which is a serious uh, concern. So if we break it right down, if a government is saying themselves that they are dedicated to 
really addressing the mental health needs of this country. In real terms, they have failed to do so by the very fact that they have given such a tiny amount to mental health for 2024. And that was Fiona Toomey speaking to me a little earlier now. Following her daughter Millie's death, Fiona went on to establish a suicide bereavement charity called HUG. That's H-U-G-G. And they can be contacted at 0151-413-4048. That's 0151-3-4048. And they can be emailed at info at hug.ie. That's info at hugg.ie if you want more information on them. If you've been affected by anything you've heard in the course of that interview, you can go to rt.ie forward slash helplines to see what services might be appropriate to how you're feeling at the moment. Now, Minister Mary Butler, I don't expect you to comment on the specifics of Millie's circumstances or her case and you weren't minister back in 2016 but speaking in her capacity as uh, the founder of HUG and pointing out, pointing to the deficiency, defici- deficiencies she saw in the child and ad- adolescent mental health services do you think the responses are there now for children who find themselves in distress to access acute services where and when they need them? Firstly, can I thank Fiona for sharing her story? I have heard Fiona speak before and for all the work she does with HUG. And obviously, uh, you know, to speak so eloquently and bravely about the death of her beautiful daughter, Millie, at 11 years of age, it's it's just beyond belief. What I, what I will say is I do believe we have made some significant um, changes and improvements, but we have more work to do. So, for example, there is now um, a 24-7 a mental health um uh, telephone line, not specific to CAMS, to all mental health, 1800 treble one treble eight. We do have a text line 50808 run by Spun Out 24-7, 365 days of the year. We now have 75 CAMS teams in place and we are in a position that um, 95% of all urgent cases are now responded to within 72 hours. But I do always worry about the 5% that are not responded to. And when you say um, responded to, to what degree and and, and and promising and providing what? Um, well, you see, each case is individual and they are, so it's not always suicidal. It could be self-harm. It could be an eating disorder. Um, you know, so the, the, the urgent cases are responded to and a pathway is identified um, specifically. And, you know, we, we I, I know we'll come on and we'll talk about waiting lists and that there are some children waiting longer, but the urgent cases always push the children with more moderate to medium um, services but, but they the become the urgent cases. <coughs> they, they can at times, but we have made we have made a lot of progress in relation to. I suppose since I've come in, we speak about the budget. Um, before when I came, this was my fourth budget this week, and before I came in, the the mental health fund was just under a billion. It's now at one point three billion, so I have increased it by three hundred million. We do now have seventy five CAMS teams. Um, we also have rolled out all the clinical programs in relation to eating disorders, into ADHD, into mental health with intellectual disability. They are being done um, incrementally. But just the one point I want to make, only a few weeks ago I launched um, what we didn't have previously were the CAMS hubs. So these are online supports. So say, for example, we have one running up in Roscommon. So if you're living in Donegal, you're living in Galway or those areas around, you can have access to your consultant without having um, to travel, which makes a big difference. 
an awful lot of this work is contingent on funding. And I did say on Wednesday at the press conference that I was disappointed that even though I did secure 75 um, million euro more than I secured last year, a lot of the money wasn't for new developments. It was based towards okay. service level uh, service level delivery. Okay, uh, Aon O'Riordan, to you to you first on this. The uh, Minister Mary Butler outlining what she sees as progress in the right direction. Do you accept that well, it is progress? I accept that Minister Butler is, is doing all she can. And I think she's a compassionate and, and principled politician who's trying to do what best she can within government. But the energy within government is not in this space. It's not. There's no energy behind this type of service provision. The energy is behind tax cuts. If you get four junior ministers from Fine Gael writing in a, an op-ed in the Irish Times or Irish Independence, it's about tax cuts. It's not about the type of service delivery. Now, we have to be honest as politicians. You can't have both. If you want to have excellent public services and to support people like Mary Butler and what she's trying to say, who's just said she's disappointed about the, the resources made available to her, then we have to get serious about it. Now, look, nobody wants to make a political point-scoring match over, over the loss of an 11-year-old girl. None of us want to do that. But we have to talk seriously about what type of country we want in the services delivery. Now, the point I made on Wednesday, and Mary was there, in the doll about mental health supports is that there in in disadvantaged schools who are who it, there's there's a a, a a call for trauma-based supports in our most disadvantaged schools okay they're looking for a desh plus status which would mean teacher support uh, uh, services means uh, trauma-based intergenerational trauma that it could be it could be addressed in early age so it doesn't compound itself over time all right that we are told that's going to be reviewed there are massive mental health issues in, in, in our prisons where people are lying uh, on mattresses, as we see today. Uh, that's, uh, you know, it's been described as shocking, uh, the level of overcrowding. And that's a massive mental health issue as well. So my point generally is, look, I accept absolutely bona fides, bona fides with the minister here. But it is pretty alarming that the minister herself, in this sphere of mental health, says that she is disappointed okay. at the lack of support she's getting from her government colleagues. Louise O'Reilly, what would you, how would you respond to what uh, Mary Butler says is things going in the right direction uh, in the area but they're of not mental come, health. That's the point. They're not going in the right direction. So when Mary Butler came into office, the waiting list for CAMS for an initial assessment was 2,115. It's 2,400 now. Likewise, there were 10,000 people on a list waiting for primary care psychology when Mary took up office. It's now 16,000. So, you know, the facts and the figures see that we're going in the wrong direction. I don't for a moment dispute the fact that Mary uh, is, is well-intentioned and tries her best. Absolutely, that, that, is, that is completely acknowledged. But the facts are, in my area... Uh, the only the only way that you will get seen by the CAM service is if you are in crisis. And mm-hmm. what happens is those people who need a small intervention get left on a waiting list and then they require an emergency intervention. And, you know, closing down residential beds when we absolutely need those with no plan that I can see to reopen them is causing immense distress to families. So, you know, I want to thank Fiona also for, for sharing her yeah. story. And it is so regrettable that she has to. But I was very, very struck at the advice that she was given, which many parents have told me they have been given as well, which is to take your distressed child to accident and emergency. Yeah. That it, That's not even a stick in plaster. That is an absolute disgrace. Okay. But sometimes that's the only door that is open. So nobody doubts that the minister is well-intentioned. However, her good intentions are falling far can, short can just of ask, what people need. Can I just ask Mary Butler, when, when you went in and you lobbied for increased funding on this specific topic, what answer did you get? Why were you told no to this level of funding? 
Because the budget was taken as an overall um, envelope in relation to health in general. So the, the budget for mental health is about 6% of, of the overall budget. And I was disappointed from the perspective. So my budget for this year is 1.221 billion. And my budget for 2023 will run over about 10 million, which in the overall frame of things is, is very small money. My budgets were similar in, in relation to older people and in relation to dementia. Um, you know, I, I agreed to tender there recently for home care and brought it in on budget of 723 million. And I suppose my real disappointment was that where we are seeing overruns in acute and you're, you're, so, so you're not to going to turn to, anybody just, just away to be from clear, a hospital. So is it a problem within allocation then within the Department of Health that this is seen as a lower priority than some other areas? No, it wasn't seen as a lower priority. It was the money that was available to us because there's so many areas in relation to health. But one of the, one of the things I do want to point out that was secured, and I'm really, really excited about this, I secure the money for a pilot that's going to happen in CHO9 and this is for any child that's referred to a GP with their parent and it's going to be a central referrals area a no wrong door okay. approach so that every child will be signposted whether okay. it is to Feroiga or a family resource centre or whether it's CAMS or primary care okay. psychology and this will have a this will also help um, looking at waiting lists because there are children on more than one waiting list maybe on three or four Alright that's, that's all And will these to. services sorry just very briefly will these services be exempt from your recruitment moratorium or um, yes. will they be staffed so yes. they will, they will okay. be right. and, and listen thank you for raising that because I did secure 68 staff for okay. CAMS right. and they are exempt from the moratorium okay. right. and they we were have, hard won. We have to take a break we're going to look at what's happening in Gaza next.